Shelly and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary in San Francisco. And uh, after a few days in the city, we decided that it'd be fun to rent a car and to drive down the, very, the beautiful coastal highway of Northern California, uh, the famous Highway 1. And so we did that. We rented a car, and not just any car, but for the first time, we rented a convertible. Hey, 25th anniversary, we had to really like up it, you know. So, so rented the uh, convertible and uh, got out on the highway and put the top down. It was a nice, sunshiny summer day. No clouds in the sky. And uh, just uh, we could hear the, the ocean waves crashing against the, the rugged rocks, the coastline of, of uh, Northern California. And it was great. It was like a perfect day. And it was literally like there's nothing at all that is uh, amiss in the world today. It was like pristine. And that's really when we look at when God completed creation, all was right with the world. In fact, he kind of put a bow on it when he uh, developed, when he made the, the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was this lush place with uh, this very fertile ground that there were beautiful trees that were there that were all sufficient for the food that they needed and, and uh, just amazing fountain in the middle of the garden that uh, was such a supply of water that there were four rivers, major rivers that ran out in different directions from that, from that fountain. There was gold there were additional minerals that were there, uh, and mankind was placed in the garden just to care for it, just to attend to the, the beauty and to enjoy it. There is one caveat, there's one thing that uh, a lot of you know this story, maybe all of you know this story, which is a challenge to bring it tonight, but I believe God has something, again, significant for us. There was one caveat, and there's one tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was forbidden to eat fruit from. Other than that, knock yourself out. Like, have, enjoy, enjoy the, the creation of God. God knew that mankind would need companionship. He knew that uh, loneliness would set in, and so... There was man and woman created, Adam and Eve, you know the names, and they were suitable, it says, for each other. They complemented one another. And uh, it was such a, um, a pristine uh, time, and, and it was just such a, a wonderful experience that they had, that there was no shame. Shame had not entered the world. And so it says in Scripture that they were naked, and they were, not, uh, they were unashamed. And so, as the story goes, we see in Genesis chapter 3 that there is some activity that happens that is our main focus this evening. This, this fall, I've been teaching a class at college, North Point Bible College, uh, the history of church music. And it's really, uh, yeah, we have one of the, the students uh, here tonight. I appreciate that. I'll take that as a shout-out of, of affirmation. But I love the class, and I didn't grow up liking history. I didn't really have 
uh, great history teachers uh, in high school, and I thought history was just, you know, not, it wasn't interesting, but I've kind of through the years developed uh, an appreciation for history, and so I love teaching this class. We have some great discussion, and the whole idea of really the, the narrative or the theme of this class is that uh, we would learn from the lessons, both from good decisions and perhaps poor decisions that have been made in church music history that can inform us today, educate us, so we can look to the future, and I'm, I'm teaching future worship arts uh, ministers, pastors, and so that they would be able to process and make good decisions based on lessons learned from history that would shape the future. And so, again, we've had some great discussions, and really that's what, as I look at Genesis 3 today and, and offer it to us to consider this evening, it's in that spirit that I, that I approach this. If we can learn some lessons from this Genesis 3 experience, that would be profitable for us as we live our lives, then it would be time well spent. And so that brings us to this story about temptation and how temptation works. And there's a sequence that we see in Genesis chapter 3 that will take us through uh, really three dimensions of temptation. And I would suggest to you that this sequence does not always ring true in temptation in our lives. It could happen like this, but likely there'd be one or two of these, of these aspects of temptation that really uh, we're faced with, that we have to deal with. And so I'd like to present basically three thoughts from this passage of Scripture, starting at Genesis chapter 3. And first that we see, what we see is that uh, temptation questions God's word. Temptation questions God's word. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say? And that really just jumps off the page at me because... I believe that that's what happens today a lot of the time when we are faced with a situation that tempts us. We have this doubt. Did God really say this? Did the Bible, does the Bible really mean this? Does the scripture really apply or was it just for the culture of that day long time ago? Thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. So does God, did God really say, does he really mean this. And I think that's good for us as we are reading scripture. That is good for us to try to parse through is this a cultural situation, a, a cultural principle, or is it timeless? And I would encourage you to be students of the word and as you read scripture to ask yourself and to pray through is this something for that day, for that people, or is this a universal principle? Because there are something I think of. Uh, in, in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul writes about the uh, necessity of head coverings for women. I believe that is a cultural principle. I don't see any ladies here other than maybe a, <laughs> a, a, a cap or so that, that would uh, be for women. But it wasn't a requirement when you came through. Now some parts of the world today, like last I heard in Italy, that is a thing still. 
But we, we would view that as a, a cultural uh, principle for that day for women. But there's much of scripture that has timeless universal principles or laws that we need to interact with. Now culture in society today actually questions, did God really say? For example, did God really say that there's not to be adultery? I mean, that seems so restrictive. In a, and there are those that would be advocating of open marriages. Well, did God really say that, that you should not commit adultery? Did God really say that pride comes before the fall? In a day that we, we talk a lot about self-made men and self-made women, and there's a, almost a spirit of look at what I have done with my life and almost pride and arrogance can come in, an, in a healthy way. Instead of looking at anything good in my life has come from God. And that there is not the, the sanction that, that there would be for, uh, for arrogance or for pride. Did God really say that we're supposed to take care of the poor? That we're supposed to take care of widows and we're supposed to visit those that are in prison? I'm too important for that. Aren't there people that get paid to do this? To take care of those that are unfor- you know, less fortunate than I am? And we can rationalize our way around certain things that I think are principles that we should consider for our lives yet today. And so we start, it's easy to start questioning God's word, and that opens a, a Pandora's box, if you will. That there's many then trails we can go down when we get to that point of questioning, did God really say, did he really mean this in the word of God? We can start making compromises based on what we had convictions about. We can make decisions based on feelings rather than what we know to be true. So beyond God being questioned, his word being questioned, the second thing that happens here in this story is when Eve is told, there's no other way to put it, but a bold-faced lie. And that's part of the whole temptation process. Verse 2 of Genesis 3, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. In verse 4, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. You will certainly not die. Well, has anyone seen Adam and Eve walking around recently? Like maybe the streets of Jerusalem, maybe they've been on a cruise, I don't know. Yet yeah, we know that they have, we have not seen them because they died. There's just a lie, just a lie that there's no consequences for actions that we have that goes against the, the laws of God. Lies such as, well, you will not lose your job if you fudge on the books a little bit for your benefit. You will not lose your wife or your husband if you cheat on them. You won't get caught if you don't report certain income on your tax return. A spouse won't mind if you develop an emotional attachment and really have an emotional affair with somebody at work because they're empathetic to your situation. It's going to be okay. There's no consequences for that. And so on and so on. You know, friends, I think it's okay to have a little fear about consequences. 
Temptation always involves a lie. The reality is that there are consequences to missing the mark of morality and ethics that we sense as we read through Scripture. We, are, we can reach a place of being forgiven, but yet there are consequences, as we will see here in this story. All we'd have to do is ask Adam and Eve if they were here. We could ask them. And third, and perhaps the most subtle way that temptation comes into our life is what I call half-truths. After he says they won't die, Satan adds in verse 5, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there's some truth in this. God knows that when you will eat from it, your eyes will be open. True. And you will be like God. Not true. Knowing good and evil. True. You know, there's always a little bit of truth in temptation. One of the truths in temptation is that you will receive, often you will receive temporary pleasure from that temptation, yielding to that temptation. What is false is that there will be no price to pay for succumbing to temptation. Yielding to temptation means prioritizing self over others, pleasure over what is proper, the present over the future. And for the Christ follower, a lot of talk about grace and not so much talk about the holiness of God, the justice, the judgment of God. We actually live in an era the past decade I've seen growing emphasis on grace. And I'm all for grace. I need grace as much as the next person. The mercies of God, you know, and forgiveness, and unmerited favor of God. But I feel like sometimes the, 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 the weight is so much on, on grace and not enough about actually having a fear of a holy God and holiness and justice. The reality is that God gives us principles that if we follow them, it's for our good, it's for our benefit, our blessing. He doesn't give us commands or principles because he's mean. He doesn't give us rules to follow because he wants us to live a boring life. But he wants us to live a full and abundant life. And in doing so, if we follow what is in Scripture that are these universal principles, we will evoke blessing on our life. Blessing upon a marriage for those that come into holy matrimony. Every command is meant to bring blessing in our life. Ask someone who's been married 40 or 50 years if they regret not having an affair. Ask a broker at their retirement dinner if they lament not stealing money from the firm. Not so. There's countless examples of this. When tempted, I think it's good to ask, what will my future look like if I don't do this? It's also good to ask, what could my future look like if I follow through with yielding to this temptation? To just pause, give yourself some time, and think about these things. That's a good thing, not to to just rush in to yielding to that temptation. Well, the rest of the story, again, many of you know, shame enters the world. 
Adam and Eve realize they are naked, they hide from God. Not only does shame enter the world, but the blame game enters the world. We see that Eve blames the serpent, Adam blames Eve, and so it goes. No one takes responsibility. And then curses commence. Here's the consequences for the serpent, which we know is Satan. The serpent is cursed above all animals, crawls on its belly, eats dust, and there's enmity between the serpent and women. Suffice it to say that means that women are freaked out by snakes. And I say there's probably some guys here that are also freaked out by snakes. I would raise my hand. I guess that must be my feminine side. I don't know. But something interesting happens in the curse for the serpent. The word says this. The offspring of the woman will, be, will crush his head and strike his heel, which is the first prophecy of Jesus Christ. That there will be one that comes into the world, the offspring of humanity, that will crush the serpent's head, the victory of Jesus over evil, over Satan. So that's not good for Satan, the serpent, but it's good for us. The next curse that comes is to women, pains in childbearing, painful labor. There's also the framework of the relationship between woman and man that is presented in this passage. And then men, no longer can they just pick the fruit off of the tree, off the trees that are there in the garden. They actually have to work the ground for the food that they will need to provide sustenance for their families. They're going to have to toil, they're going to have to sweat, they're going to have to labor. And then ultimately, you will return to the dust you came from. So there's a lot of heartache at this point. Can you imagine how Adam and Eve felt at that point? Besides just the shame, but then the curses follow the shame. I wouldn't be surprised if Adam and Eve were actually suicidal at that point. If they thought, what's the use of living? We have to work the ground. The childbearing pain, it's like, what's the point? We've blown it. Big time. Sometimes we can just read through these stories and, and just go on to the next verse instead of, again, waiting a little bit and putting ourselves in their position. Just the fracture of relationship between them and God and what seems hopeless, really, in that moment. But then something happens. And if there's a bright spot in this story, I think it is evident in verse 21, which says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Think about it. The creator of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the garden, the creator of everything that is beautiful and good, stoops down, humbles himself to then make garments to cover their shame. I think this is a, one of the most beautiful acts of love that, that has ever been written, where God himself comes back into the picture 
and doesn't command them, you go make your garments. You, he comes and he, he personally clothes them, making them that which will cover their shame. In this, I believe, it's an ex- this expression of hope is such a revelation of the love of God for those who do miss the mark. You know, he still covers shame today in a different way, perhaps. And as we see Jesus coming into the picture in the New Testament, and we see the teaching of Paul to the early church about that shame is taken care of because of the act of love on the cross of Jesus Christ. And even though all of us will miss the mark, not once or twice, but we All of humanity since Adam and Eve have missed the mark on occasion, including the great people of Scripture, the men and women of Scripture. All have sinned, it says in Romans 3.23, and fall short. All have missed the mark in some way. And, And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but all of us at some point in the future will miss the mark. We will break a principle. We will violate a command of God. And when we do, there is a loving and forgiving God that will come and will forgive us. And it says in the Psalms, he forgets our sins. As far as the east is from the west, he does not remember our sins. This is a great God who forgets certain things when it comes to how we can miss the mark and we can violate the principles that are in his word. And so because of Jesus There is hope, there is shame that is addressed. In fact, Jesus is referred to as the new Adam in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Friends, this is good news. One righteous act, Jesus Christ, resulting in restored relationship between mankind and God, atoning for the sin that we have committed, bringing life to us that was death, there was a dormancy, and not just life that we can breathe, but abundant life, and then life eternal, life forever, because of this act of the new Adam, Jesus Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all will die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What a powerful truth that we have because of Christ's victory. Now back to that day that Shelley and I were on Highway 1, there were no cloudbursts that happened, which was great because the top was down. That would have been a little catastrophic because I don't even know how I would have got the, I'm not a convertible guy, so I don't know how that would have went. But fortunately, no clouds, no rain, a perfect day. Regretfully, the bliss that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden was shattered by the cloudburst of sin. 
The result of this incident is a fallen world, a broken world. Every heartache since that moment to today, every heartache can be traced back to that moment, to those curses. But because of Jesus, there is hope for us. God forgives, he forgets, he rescues, and there is grace greater than our sin. I also want to just leave you with this thought, there is a way out when tempted. So we've talked about the fact that here's how, you know, again, just in, in summary, this is you know, three ways, really, that, that Satan tempts us. And we've talked about recognizing that. We've also talked about when we do sin, that there is a forgiving, gracious God that will forgive us. We've also talked about there are consequences, even though we're forgiven. But there's a way to flee, to escape temptation. That's the better choice. It's the better path to choose to take. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So when you're tempted, think about what will my... Life, what could my life look like if I follow through with this temptation? Pause and think, what could my life look like if I don't? What will my life look like if I don't follow through with this? No consequences. To think through it, and I think at that point, to acknowledge and to pray, Lord, strengthen me in this moment. Your word says that you will make a way of escape for me when I am tempted. And as you and we, and me, as we, all of us together, as we have these moments of temptation, that we would come to this place, pausing, setting our hearts on what will be the right path. And those are the paths that the Lord will bring to our mind, whatever those are. So I encourage us in this time as we pray together to just pray that the Holy Spirit would seal in us this Adam and Eve story that we would personalize, we'd reflect upon it and realize there's great value in learning lessons, a historical lesson that can provide a blessing for our future if we follow the path that has been given to us uh, as uh, Jesus has been triumphant and is triumphant over sin, death, and all that goes with uh, yielding to temptation. So I'd like for us to pray right now.